the CEO Mania. Michael Yorba, thanks for joining with us. All right, I have Mark Dubner as my guest. He is the economic strategist, legal counsel. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Glad you're here. I appreciate you having me here. My pleasure. All right, Mark, um, we have had economic strategists counsel, chief legal counsel. We've had their um, enrolled agent, a couple of them, on the show. And uh, so our audience kind of gets the feeling of what economic strategist does. I'm going to drill down in some of the questions that some of the clients may ask you, and maybe you can open that up for us. Before we do that, though, give our audience some background on your on yourself, what you bring to the table so you get the flavor of um, where you come from. And then I want to get into some of the elements and the provisions that the, the trust provides through economic strategists. Okay? Sure, sure. Um, I went to law school more than 30 years ago with the intention of trying to help other people solve their problems. And throughout my career in both business law and personal law, I have I, I never really realized what it was to truly help somebody until I joined with Economic Strategist and I learned about their trust. Now, let's get into that. So we've got elements that the trust provides that other trusts don't. That's why I'm so enthused about it. Talk to our audience about some of these elements that they may not know about yet. Sure, Michael. It's a... Uh a very complex and, and also elegantly written trust instrument it is a non-grantor, irrevocable, complex, discretionary, spendthrift trust. Each one of those elements are required to accomplish what I want in my own financial dealings and what most people want. That is, you want privacy, you want asset protection, you want the ability to shield your assets from creditors, judgments, and liens, and also it avoids probate. So you can set your trust up through economic strategists, and we'll show you how to have successor trustees to your trust assets. In that way, the beneficiaries come in and take over the trust upon your death and passing, and they don't have to uh, years in probate and thousands of dollars with with probate fees now mark let me drill down a little bit deeper onto this what's the difference between say your average grantor trust and the copyrighted non-grantor spendthrift instrument sure michael that's you know what 90 percent of us lawyers provide is a grantor trust if you look at all the trust law out there, and I've examined 150 years of trust law, there's mostly just grantor trust. What people really need to have is a non-grantor trust, and the reason for that is that the grantor trust really doesn't protect the assets. It can easily be pierced. It's subject to turnover orders from courts. It uh, frequently is deemed to be an alter ego of the individual who granted the assets. In our case with a non-grantor trust, we have it capitalized or endowed with your assets. Then we suggest that you become the managing trustee of those assets. Those assets go into the trust. The, the trustee becomes the 
controller but not the owner of the assets. All right. Now, there is um, something else I want, to, want you to bring out, the, the importance of having it be irrevocable. Okay. The Excuse me. irrevocable provision gives my clients heartburn <laughs> because we start off saying what you're doing is irrevocable. You can't irrevocable. You can't undo this. It you transferring your assets to your trust for the life of the trust. The reason obviously would give you heartburn is you think, well, what if I made a mistake? Mm-hmm. What if I want to undo this? You can't undo it, and it has to be irrevocable. Otherwise, courts can uh, go into the trust with a turnover order and tell you to satisfy a judgment lien with a creditor, um, even if it's a frivolous law as a result of a frivolous lawsuit, if it's more than you should have to pay for some event. But I don't want to digress. The the individual. That, the trustee always has access to the trust assets. So if a person decided, and this has never happened out of 31,000 of these trusts, but if somebody decided they made a mistake, they wanted to undo it, all they have to do is just distribute the assets out of the trust. There'll be a tax consequence, not for the trust, but for whoever receives those assets. But it's, it's very simple to wind it down. Now, there's another provision that some people may not know about, and that's Rule 643B. I want to know how that Internal Revenue Code works within the instrument. The authors of this trust really worked hard to embed Rule 643 into the trust. The trust is a self-governing document. And 643 was placed in that document for the express purpose of being sure that the trust did not overpay its taxes. I saw a case the other day where beneficiaries, not in our trust, but in a, in a, a similar trust, had to sue the trustees because they were going to pay taxes that the trust didn't own. Oh, rather. You'll understand when you get into this, when we show you the details of it, that ordinary income and capital gains get reclassified when they're in a trust so that they become an extraordinary dividend. The code, Rule 643B of of the IRS code says you don't owe ordinary incomes or capital gains taxes. It's not even proper to pay them, although you can. There's actually an election that you you can pay them or you can defer them for the life of the trust. So if a trustee decided that they wanted to pay taxes, they could do it, but it's it's not required. What happens is the revenue from the trust, if it's a business that's making a million dollars a year, that goes into the trust, then all that revenue comes back to the corpus or body of the trust. Once that happens, then the trustee has the discretion to classify those as extraordinary dividends. And at that point, all the uh, the money is reinvested in trust and there isn't a tax consequence. There is a, a difference between people who build a legacy and people who want to build a legacy. And I wanted to be able to let you bring out to our audience the unique 
the uniqueness of how this trust works when it comes to building legacies, the ones, the fabled ones that you hear mm -hmm. about, the Vanderbilts, the, yes. the Morgans, you know what I mean? Bring that out for the audience. Well, this is the way for people to build generational wealth. This is the way that we understand that the Rothschilds and the Kennedys and the Carnegies and others, you know, back at the time of the second industrial revolution, there was only business trust. They weren't working out of LLCs or corporations. They were working out of a business trust. So they took that same concept before the our internal revenue code came into being they said we're going to put that into the internal revenue code so that it doesn't disturb what we do already so that is a part of the code that has not been touched for 60 years and if you follow the code and you follow the self-governing trust documents it will show you the path to be able to pass that money on to generation after generation after generation the trust can go on almost into perpetuity. Mark, thanks for being a guest on today's show. I really appreciate the time you spent here. Well, thank you for having me. You've been watching CEO Money with Michael Yorba. Thanks for joining with us. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.